Well, good morning, and happy Father's Day. Thank you. Hope you have something special planned for the dad in your life. Uh, my Father's Day uh, starts as soon as I leave here. I'm going home, going to have a nap. You do not get to start until you leave here with your nap. So just so we set the ground rules for the service this morning. Um, as Danielle said, I'm going to be finishing a four-part series. We did two of the messages around Mother's Day. I won't ask how many of you remember that. Uh, there's forgiveness if you don't. A uh, uh, four-part series that we began then called Sticky Faith. And it's all around this idea that uh, I believe there is a deeply held desire in all of us who have kids and we're trying to help them grow up uh, to develop this uh, and discover this faith in God that is compelling and life-giving. Now, while that's a deeply held desire, I think, for most of us who have kids, the reports are in and we're not doing all that well at fulfilling that desire as families. Truth is that if kids who grow up in Christian homes are actively involved in their churches about 50% of those kids walk away from their faith in the first two years after they leave home. They go off to college or they get married and leave home and they leave the faith that was a part of their life for the first 18 years or so of their life. I don't know about you, but that concerns me. It scares me a little bit for our kids that they would abandon their faith and not come back to it. It's been something that's at the core of our relationship with God as a people, even from the days of Moses. Moses talked about this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, about how we pass faith along to our kids. It was an important enough theme for him as he talked to God's people that he not only talked about it in Deuteronomy 6, he talked about it again in Deuteronomy 11, almost word for word, Five chapters later, and it wasn't just because he was old and about to die and he was forgetful. It was an important theme, and he repeated it. Here's how he starts off. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Moses begins this whole dialogue with a simple but profound truth. You can't give away what you don't have. Sharing a vibrant faith with children who live with us every single day starts with having a vibrant faith of our own. Moses says it real simply. Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And the word strength in that verse doesn't mean our physical power It means literally everything we own, even to the point of all of our possessions. The construct of the sentence indicates that we have to love God with an absolute singular devotion, without reservation, without qualification. That simple statement in those two verses was so profound to the faith of the Israelites that it became a prayer that they would recite twice a day in the morning and the evening as a reminder to them of how a love for God was to permeate every aspect of their lives. It's a practice that continues to this day in the Jewish faith. 
What Moses spoke thousands of years ago has been borne out in every survey over the last 50 or so years. Our kids learn the most about faith from their parents, from what we believe, from what we talk about, and most importantly, how we model our faith for them every single day. We are the most significant influence in their lives. The Hebrew model for passing along faith was more of a life-oriented model as opposed to an information-oriented model. They didn't just sit them down in a classroom. It was using the context of life to teach and to talk about God. That helps us understand better what Moses says next. He says, these commands that I'm going to give you today, I want them to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk down the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. I want you to imagine for a minute that I planted a microphone in your home this week. That I recorded every single conversation that happened in your family for an entire week. You nervous yet? How about if I played that conversation a little fast forward, played those conversations here in the auditorium this morning? What would we discover? What would be the number one topic of conversation in your house in your family, in the course of a week. Well, when you have kids in your house, my guess is it would be logistics, right? I mean, it's just all those details of life. What time is your practice today? I mean, pick a sport, baseball, soccer, whatever sport your kid's into in whatever season of the year it is. If it's the school year, It would be, did you get your lunch in your backpack? Is your homework in there? When is that science project due? Right? We all love doing science projects for our kids. Yes, I said four. We are all still doing penance for those projects we didn't do when we were kids. We're not doing them for our kids. It's just a generational thing, right? And teachers know that. When do you need to be picked up from school? When you need to be at practice. All those details of life, that just, they just have to happen. Those conversations have to happen. So that everybody gets what they need and gets where they need to be. But let's step up a level above those necessary details of life this morning. Let's acknowledge that that has to happen. But at a higher level, what if we took Moses' conversation with the Israelites seriously? What if we took God's command seriously this morning what percentage of our family conversations would have any mention of God or faith and how it intersects life don't hear that as a guilt inducing question hear it as a question about intentionality in helping our faith helping our kids develop a faith that's going to stick. I don't know what the percentage would be in your family, and I didn't put a microphone in every house. Um, I can tell you what the percentages are in the average house for those faith conversations. The surveys have been done. In the average home, Christian home, 
where kids are involved in church and parents are involved in church. They surveyed the teenagers and found out that the kids say that about 12% of the kids on a regular basis have some kind of a conversation about faith and God with their mom. And about 5% have a conversation with their dad. How's that hit you? For some of us, we hear that and we go, that relieves some guilt, right? You go, hey, you know, I'm just about normal. (laughs) For some of us, we feel a little better because we're above the curve. I don't think the lack of faith-based conversations in the home is because we have a lack of desire. We want to talk to our kids. We want our kids to grow up to love God. I think, honestly, it's just difficult to find the time. Sometimes it's difficult to find our kids in a good mood to talk about these things, right? You've lived with teenagers. You were a teenager once. Sometimes it's just difficult to find our kids. Their lives are busy too. It's just busy lives that we lead. So on the one hand, the statistics can make us feel normal, can relax the angst we feel. But on the other hand, if we want our kids to develop a vibrant faith, a sticky faith, we need to talk with them regularly. It's an important part of their faith development. We need to talk about faith and the tough subjects of life. So how can we do better? I think some of the secrets lie in this passage in Deuteronomy. And as clumsy as it may feel, we need to find ways to talk authentically about our faith and our journey with our kids. Moses' words in Deuteronomy suggest that our faith conversations should happen organically. When we're just hanging out around the house, when we're running errands, when we're resting, or when we're sharing a meal. What's most effective in talking with our kids about faith and about God is when we're just going about our everyday life. It's seizing those little moments every day that come up to talk about how faith is impacting our life and our decisions about how we spend our time, how we spend our money, about our relationships and how faith intersects there. And maybe, most importantly, how faith impacts those uncertainties in life. Let me give you a couple of examples of how this could work and how we tried. We weren't perfect as parents. Our kids will tell you that in any time you want to listen. Um, we did a couple of things. Um, we, for a while, took advantage. Connie said this yesterday, immediately when I was talking to her about it. We took advantage of captive audiences. So, like, you're in the car a lot with your kids, is my guess. We were, too. For There was a period of time when we lived in Carroll Stream, and our kids, we put them in private school here in Elgin uh, for a lot of reasons. But it's a commute that was 30 to 45 minutes one way. Okay? It's a long drive. We were changing the oil in our cars every three to four weeks because we were making that trip three, four times a day with our kids. A lot of miles in the car. And we didn't like all those trips, and everybody was grumpy at times. 
So we tried to just take advantage of those trips to have conversations with the kids. One of the things that I did uh, was I chose to listen to their music. Not because I liked it, but because it helped to eliminate some of their grumpiness. So I would listen to their music, and I got used to their music. I started learning their music, and much to their chagrin, I would sing along (laughs) with their music. I'm not a horrible singer. I mean, I'd be fine. Michael could give me a microphone. I'd be fine up here on the stage, as long as the microphone was off. Um, But I would sing along. And periodically, I would turn the music down, and I'd go, I'd ask questions about who was singing it and what they knew about the person. Or I'd ask questions about the lyrics. Did they really know the lyrics to the song? And what was the song saying? And they'd push back a little, but it would eventually lead to a conversation. I didn't do it with every song. And I didn't do it every day. That'd just be annoying. And parents are annoying enough without trying to be, right? There are teenagers in the room. This is a point you can nod and go, yes, they are. But it initiated some conversations, and you could bring faith and life together around that. You can also do it just by picking up on what's in the news and current events and having conversations there. Oh, my goodness. You have a perfect opportunity with stuff that was in the news this week. Anybody read the news this week? The shootings in South Carolina? The 21-year-old young man? who went into a church, sat in a prayer meeting for an hour, and then pulled out a gun and killed nine people. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions around that. I watched the news two days later after he'd been arrested, and they played 60 to 90 minutes when he was arraigned. They played the audio clip of people who had loved ones who had been shot. And they were allowed to talk to this young man and express their grief and say anything they wanted to say to him. Did you listen to that? The overwhelming comment that was played on national news was people saying to him, I forgive you. I get chills just thinking about it. Then there was one woman who said, I don't know about all these other people, but I'm not there yet. I'm angry with you. And I'm praying that God will help me forgive you. Be a great conversation to have with your kids. If he had shot somebody you love, what would you say to him? What How could you forgive? What would that be like? My guess is your kids are talking about it. Why not talk with you? Because I'll be honest with you. If that had been somebody I love that he had shot, I don't know that I... I am not just saying this for effect. I don't know that my first words to him, or even now my words to him, would be, I forgive you. It's hard. The challenging thing for us as parents is when we talk to our kids and we ask questions and we initiate these authentic faith conversations is to ask a question and then listen. To not have to feel like we have to drive the conversation to a point. To show up 
with questions and not feel like we have to have all the answers to what comes out. But just to let them see our faith be authentic and begin in the conversation to see how their faith is developing. Because if we start a conversation and then we drift into gushing or lecturing, they're just going to tune us out, pop in the earbuds, and they're done. And even though my kids are in their 30s now, I still love to show up when we have a chance to have coffee or a meal together or we're on vacation. I still love to show up with a question or two and not the answers and just listen to how their faith is doing and how their life is going. That's the whole idea behind verse 7 in Deuteronomy when Moses says, impress these commandments on your children. It's not teaching in a formal sense. There's a beautiful word picture behind that verb, impress, that gets lost on us. In the original language, it was the idea of engraving these things into some kind of a medium where it could never be removed. Impress. The idea is that as we have these conversations, as we let our faith appropriately and authentically our struggles be revealed to our kids, as we share our struggles with them, our faith becomes real and it gets etched into their souls in a way that it can never be be removed. That's what Moses was talking about. Let me suggest to you that our tendency with those conversations for all of us is to shy away from the toughest issues and the toughest questions. The ones that most need to be talked about and asked. And one of the toughest ones is to ask our kids Who will you turn to when you have doubts about your faith? I would love to be able to tell you that our kids won't go through tough times. They won't question their faith. They won't have doubts. But doubt's a natural, normal part of faith development. And when our kids have doubts, that can be a real scary time as a parent. In 2005, one of my son's closest friends, committed suicide. She was not only a close friend, she was the first girl that he had ever dated seriously. From the outside looking in, Lori was an incredibly strong Christian. She'd grown up in the church. From the time she was in junior high, she had worked in the children's ministry where we went to church. She even served on a mission trip that turned into a year on the mission field. Everything about her life, her talk, her actions said her faith was rock solid. She's a great kid. And on a cold February evening, leaving no suicide note, giving no warning, 
She walked off a concrete pier into the icy waters of Lake Michigan and she drowned herself. Her choice rocked a tight-knit community of 30 Christian kids who were all roughly 18 years old. And my son was one of those kids. Her decision set him adrift spiritually for the next three years. If Lori's faith wasn't enough, he questioned everything. He questioned God. He questioned the church. He questioned his faith. And as parents, all we could do was pray and listen. Provide a a safe, affirming environment for him to just express his doubts and talk. It was the toughest three years of his life for me as a dad. I had no idea where this journey was going to take him. I wanted to help him. We both did. It just seemed like there was nothing we could do. We talk about it now, and he tells me he knows how hard it was for us. He has no idea. The same is true for us. We have no idea how hard those three years were for him. But I am convinced that it is critically important for us as parents to give our kids that space. For them to be able to wrestle their doubts to the ground until they can pin down the answers for themselves. They need permission to think independently and to move from the place where they're simply parroting our faith to where faith becomes their own. Honestly, the doubts that they have are not anything new. They're some of the same doubts we've had and other people have had all throughout the ages. The same questions that we've wrestled with. Does God really exist? And if so, why does he let bad things happen in this world? Why do I feel like when I pray, I can't hear him? Is Christianity really true? Does he really forgive me for the things I've done in my life and continue to do? Watching our kids wrestle through those tough questions can be incredibly scary as a parent. It can feel like the doubt that's creeping in will be toxic to their soul. But in truth, the only thing that's toxic is unexpressed doubt. Kids who feel the freedom to ask the tough questions, to go on a journey for truth, will end up with a tougher faith, a stronger faith, a stickier faith. And it's a journey they have to do for themselves. We can't do it for them as much as we want to. But they don't have to do it alone.
Moses' meaning in the last verses we'll look at this morning can be lost on us because of some of the traditions in the Jewish faith. He says, tie them, these commands he's talking about, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What he's basically saying there is faith has never been a solo private thing. Faith has always been developed best in a community. In Moses' world, if you were out in the community or if you were going into somebody's home, you'd see these visible symbols that would help you know that someone was a believer. These phylacteries, these little boxes that contained pieces of the Scripture became something that would be tied on a person's head and on their arm as they went to morning prayer. You'd see them and you'd know they, your neighbor, your friend, some of your parents' friends were believers. That faith was an integral part of their life. You'd see scripture verses written on the doorframe of the entrance of the home or on the gate leading into the yard, the courtyard of the home. And you knew that faith in God played an integral part of their family's life. They were a part of a faith community that you could lean into. I think it's critical in the same way that our kids know and are connected to a caring Christian community of adults as they grow up. I'm so grateful that 30 years ago, Connie and I made a decision that we were going to be connected throughout our adult lives to a caring Christian community through small groups. That no matter where we lived or what church we were a part of, we were going to be in a small group. That commitment had a huge impact on our lives and continues to. But what we had no way of understanding is the impact it would have in our kids' lives. People in our small groups have been around our kids through the good and through the bad. They've been there for our kids' struggles and their successes. In the toughest part of our kids' teen years, it's been amazing to watch how old friends from small groups we were in in southern Indiana 15 years before picked up the phone and called our daughter and said, hey, I hear you're in a tough spot. What can I do to help? People in Chicago in our current small group rallied around our kids, talked with them, and our kids shared openly with them about what they were going through and their struggles. Time and time again that happened, and it just drove home to me how important it is for our kids to have a safety net of other adults in their life. Adults who are walking the same walk that Connie and I are walking. They need to have a safety net that's going to catch them when they fall. Adults who are going to build into our kids in ways and in times that we can't. Adults who will talk with them honestly, authentically, about their faith. That particular resource, other adults like that, is better than any website or book that I could recommend. 
as I did a lot of reading and research about this, I came across a book and research done by a man named Tim Clydesdale. Most of his research and work has been primarily with college freshmen and sophomores, Christian kids who've walked away from their faith. And in a lot of cases, as he's worked with these teens, they said that they had important questions about faith during their early adolescence, specifically when they were 12, 13, and 14 years old. Those college freshmen and sophomores said two things that just made my heart ache. First, they said when they had those questions and they asked them, the parents and the other adults in their life that they tried to talk to, nobody took them seriously. Nobody. Nobody engaged them thoughtfully with the questions they had about faith and life. They reached out. Nobody listened. And secondly, those formative years for faith were largely filled with fun and fluff and short on listening and thoughtful engagement. Tim Clydesdale summarized those conversations with these words. He said, the former, all that fun fluff, produces a million paper boats. The latter produces a handful of seaworthy ships. That's a haunting statement for parents, for churches, for anybody who cares about the faith development in the next generation. Launching a million paper boats is a beautiful, fun sight on a summer day. But only a ship can weather the storms and cross the oceans. To develop faith in our kids is an amazing privilege and an honor. But it's also a choice for parents, for us as a faith community. It's a choice. Paper boats or seaworthy ships. Which will we build?